from all you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. A battle in the heart of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. I say no contract, you say no code. No contract, no If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hello, Tennessee Valley. This is The Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison, here with my co-host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller, and we are broadcasting live Online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today is the Alabama Attorney General protecting children. We talk about that with a conservative fella. Warrior Med is trying to get the miners to pay them $13 million, including for lost revenue during the strike. We're going to be talking about all of that and more on today's program. If you want to be part of the show today, we have a phone number and the line is open, folks. The line is open. You can call or text 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. You can also leave a voicemail throughout the week and we might play it on the next program. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time that we wrap here on the radio, though, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, get our snide quips about the news of the day, then you can follow us online. We're anywhere you find anything online, on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, wherever you get your podcasts, all at The Valley Labor Report. Just a reminder, your support does help us stay on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners. We have over 60 people, over 60 folks, dozens of folks, giving us a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, four, five dollars a month to help us stay on the air. And that is our largest single source of funding. It's from listeners like you uh, who reckon that it's worth what we're doing, getting this message out on the radio, on multiple commercial radio stations across the Tennessee Valley and across the South. So we appreciate that. Also, we could not do it without our union sponsors. We have several local unions that sponsor the program, and we appreciate their support. Uh, So if you want to become a sustaining member of the program as an individual, make a one-time donation or buy our new hat or pre-order our new shirts then you can go to our website tvlr.fm you can get the shirts at tvlr.fm slash store you can also become a patron at patreon.com slash the valley labor report and if you're a member of a union you should get your local to sponsor the show you can reach out to me for more details on that DMs are open on all of our social media pages, and uh, you can get my email from there. So, um, 
the first thing that that uh, uh, you, this is this is something that I've been wanting to touch on for quite a while. Um, I've had this I've had this little monologue on my on the show notes for I think this is the third week now, um, and and we're going to be able to get to it this week. And that's the material consequences of of uh, the culture war. And you know, one of the things that we want to try to do on this program is. To make people hip to the farsity, to the manufacturedness, to the nothing nature of the culture war. Which is to say that people on the radio, people in the picture box, they are purposely trying to rile you up about things that literally have no impact on your life. They're trying to make you mad at people just for existing. They're trying to make you mad about things that have no impact on your life. Things like Dr. Seuss's estate taking some racist cartoons out of print. Things like Minnie Mouse wearing a pantsuit for one month at one Disneyland location halfway across the world. That was said on this radio station to be indicative of the decline of the West. Mr. Potato Head's brand name being changed to just Potato Head. Not that Mr. Potato Head is no longer going to exist, but the Umbrella brand is now Potato Head. This was a story for a long time. The gays getting married, trans folks existing and using the bathroom. These are all things these are all things that that have no effect on your life. Unless you're one of those people. Unless you're one of those people. Right. They are not... These things are not affecting you. And if it weren't for people on the picture box trying to make you mad about it, even if you had noticed it, you wouldn't have thought a second thing about it. You go to Disneyland and see Minnie Mouse in a pantsuit. You're not even going to think about it. It's not even going to register to you that anything changed. You're not even going to notice a difference, much less think that that is indicative of the decline of the West. It's silly, silly, silly things. But we do want to be clear that the response to these nothing stories, the response that people have, the things that they do when they are able to get people riled up about the gays getting married, about trans folks existing, the response to these things, they absolutely do have material and real-world impacts on folks, especially marginalized people. This has been about a month ago, but over in Ohio, over the July 4th weekend, a transgender man somebody who transitioned from female, assigned female at birth, transitioned to male, was told by the campground that he was staying at that he ought to use the women's restroom because he was assigned female at birth. So he should use the women's restroom. And so he did that. But he looks like a man because because he's a, he's a man he's a transgender man and so he looks like a man but he did that because that's what the campground told him to do told him to use the women's restroom and so he did that and folks beat the crap out of him 
He got a black eye. He was bruised. Because he looked like a man going to the women's restroom. And then the cops arrested him. Wow. Wow. That is absurd and disgusting. Yes. He's... He did. He was. He was trying to just trying to just go about his life in the way that would, that, like that would try. He was trying to get as little of a reaction as possible. Trying to avoid conflict. Trying to avoid conflict, and he gets the crap beat out of him because of all this nonsense. Because of all this nonsense that people have riled up. Folks just want to use the bathroom. Okay. He was arrested. On the, on the abortion stuff, the Dallas Morning News reports that in Texas, doctors are already refusing to treat ectopic pregnancies, which are non-viable pregnancies that form outside of the uterus with an abortion. Doctors are already refusing to treat ectopic pregnancies with an abortion. And sending women home to expel the fetus, which increases the risk of infection. And, and I've heard reports from other states as well, unfortunately. Yeah. The Texas Medical Association from the Dallas Morning News, the Texas Medical Association wants regulators to step in after hospitals reportedly refused to treat patients with serious pregnancy complications for fear of violating the state's abortion bans. AP reports that twice in Ohio, abortion clinics received calls from women whose doctors also would not treat their ectopic pregnancies. From that report in the AP, an obstetrician delays inducing a miscarriage until a woman with severe pregnancy complications seems, quote, sick enough. Mm. A lupus patient must stop taking medication that controls her illness because it can also cause miscarriages. They also report that Dr. Jessian uh, Munoz, an OBGYN in San Antonio, Texas, who treats high-risk pregnancies, said that medical decisions used to be clear-cut. From the article now, he said, doctors whose patients develop pregnancy complications are struggling to determine whether a woman is sick enough to justify an abortion. In one case, he said, this is from the article again, we physically watched her get sicker and sicker and sicker until the fetal heartbeat stopped the next day, and then we could intervene. The patient developed complications required surgery lost multiple liters of blood and had to be put on a breathing machine all because we were essentially 24 hours behind in a study published this month in the american journal of obstetrics and gynecology doctors at two texas hospitals cited the cases of 28 women less than 23 weeks pregnant who were treated for dangerous pregnancies the doctors noted that all of the women had been recommended abortions, had recommended abortions delayed by nine days. All of these women had recommended abortions delayed by nine days because fetal heart activity was detected. Of those, 
nearly 60%, 60% of these folks who had abortions delayed, they developed severe complications. Nearly double the number of complications experienced by pre- patients in other states who had immediate therapeutic abortions. Of eight live births among the Texas cases, seven died within hours. The eighth, born at 24 weeks, had severe complications, including brain bleeding, a heart defect, lung disease, and intestinal and liver problems. NPR reports that a woman in Texas had her water break at 18 weeks, leaving very little amniotic fluid in the uterus, which is crucial for fetal lung development. From the article, for a fetus at 18 weeks, the chance of survival in that state is almost non-existent. In the state of no amniotic fluid, not in the state of Texas. For a fetus at 18 weeks, the chance of survival in the state of having very little amniotic fluid in the uterus is almost non-existent, according to Peaceman. This is probably about as close to zero as you'll get in medicine. It also carries a risk of infection, which can lead to sepsis, a hysterectomy, and even death. From the article in NPR, in 2012, a woman died in Ireland after her waters broke at 17 weeks, and doctors refused to give her an abortion. The treatment is recommended normally because of the near impossibility of life for the fetus and the danger to the mother, the treatment that is normally recommended is termination of the pregnancy and abortion. When your water breaks at 17, 18 weeks, normally the treatment is an abortion. It's supposed to at least be an option that a woman can take if she wants to. If she wants to. Instead, in Texas, they forced this woman to continue to get, quote, sick enough, like I've been saying, that they could justify to some men in the legislature in Texas that they could terminate the pregnancy. They ended up inducing labor for a stillbirth some weeks later. And, of course, we're going to continue to see more of these cases. In other states, they have already, as I understand it, begun convening death panels. (laughs) People used to be upset about the idea of death panels, but now they're convening them in states to determine if a woman is close enough to dying that a doctor can recommend treatment for an abortion. It's just, it's outlandish. It's outlandish. And you mentioned Ireland, and it's worth noting that that occurred in 2012, and since then, Ireland has expanded abortion rights right. in that country, a heavily Catholic country. They have gone the opposite direction uh, from the United States. It's, it, it, it's insane. And, of course, we're going to continue to see a lot more of these. And Roe being overturned has laid the foundation, according to Justice Thomas, for the overturning of other rights. Democrats in the U.S. Congress are trying to shore them up while they have power, and Republicans are fighting it. Last week, the U.S. House passed the Respect for Marriage Act, codifying, which would seek to codify interracial and same-sex marriage. Every single Republican from Alabama voted against it in the House. They also passed the Right to Contraception Act, which, again, every single Alabama Republican 
voted against. The right to bodily autonomy. The right to piss in peace. The right to marry whoever the hell you want. The right to contraceptives. All of these rights and freedoms are at risk. Because people are trying to make you mad about things that have nothing to do with you. But they absolutely, they absolutely affect people on the other side. Women will die. People are going to die. People are going to get beat up. Because people have made folks mad about things that have no effect on them. Your marriage is not going to be affected by an interracial couple being married. Your marriage is not going to be affected by a gay couple being married. Your pregnancy is not going to be affected by people having an abortion. Your pregnancy, your children are not going to be affected by other people having contraceptives. But all of these things are at risk for folks. And for some of you, the mob will eventually come for you too. Some of you are going to be fine, even if all of these things are stripped away, presumably. But there's going to be some folks that are cheering this on that they're going to turn that they're going to turn around and the mob's going to be looking at them. The mob's going to be saying you can get married. The mob's going to be saying that you need to go to jail. And that, uh, that's what I mean. That's what's happening. This is a very, very serious thing, and the Republicans in D.C., the Republicans across the country, have voted against the right to marry who you want and the right to contraceptives. These were not things, and they're going to tell you that these things don't matter on other shows. But if they didn't matter then just vote to codify it just in case some crazy people come along and try to take it away. Right? I mean, they said the exact same thing about most of these abortion bans that have been right. passed in state after state, including Alabama. Right? right. A- at the time, we were we were told, well, you know, there's no need to really freak out about it because Roe v. Wade is still the law and it doesn't really take effect. It's, it's more symbolic. Well, how's your symbolism looking now? Yeah. It's it's disgusting. It, it's really, uh, I mean, it's really really scary. Um, Adam, looks like we've got a caller. See what area code they are, and we can bring them on while I uh, check out the chat. Um, we appreciate everybody watching. Uh, from YouTube, Ron says, medical decisions are still clear-cut. Unfortunately now, the best medical decisions often aren't the best legal decisions. And that's exactly right. Because like I've said on the show before, there's not some light bulb that goes off above a woman's head when the pregnancy uh, when the pregnancy becomes a risk to her life that is gonna, that's going to be clear-cut. It, that that's not what happens. These are subjective decisions, and now people in legislatures are trying to step between 
people and their doctors. It's some, and, and then Ron later says some dude who never took college biology overrules your doctor. I mean, it, it's it's insane. All right, we have a caller from the two o five area code. Two o five area code. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, uh, my name is Ben. Um, calling from Hoover. Um, the uh, first time listener, also first time caller. I had a question. Um, is kind of a question, also advice. So I work for a um, for a home improvement company. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say which because I don't want to have retaliation. Right. Sure. We've been having so much, so many issues with um, with low employment, overwork from management because of because of the low numbers in our store and everything. And I was talking to a manager about a month ago, uh, and he literally whispered to me across the desk, "Hey, like if we started a union." I can't say I'd support it, but I would definitely support it. <laughs> me thinking, it got me thinking, especially since uh, since I just graduated college and everything. Mm-hmm. Not and it would, and as as good as the labor market is looking, like should I take this opportunity and how would I go about taking the opportunity to? Because it's not like one that like you can just join because it already exists. Right. It's not a matter of. It's not a matter of getting numbers into one that already exists. It is a matter of how do you start something so that it can exist for people to join. Right. Same. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that is a really, really fantastic. Um, I, I love to hear that. And, and hopefully, um, hopefully the manager keeps, keeps the uh, – That attitude. You, yeah, <laughs> once you do start your campaign, I, I hope that they keep their attitude. But, yeah, um, you know, there are – I don't know what kind of home improvement – uh, company that you work for, and you don't have to tell me, but there are several. Uh, there are several construction unions. There are several trade unions that will organize um, uh, things like that. You know, maybe the electrical workers or the uh, or the iron workers, um, the laborers union. Uh, you could also go with uh, the UE, the United uh, Electrical Workers Union, potentially, and the. The, fir- the first things that you're going to do, and, and you can do these in tandem, is look for the unions that are in your area or unions that would support your campaign and reach out to a few of these different unions. Reach out to UE. Reach out to maybe the IWW. Reach out to um, you know the electrical workers, the iron workers, and just, and just talk to them and see if they have any interest in, in supporting your campaign. And also... Uh, begin having conversations with your coworkers. Um, you know, obviously uh, not necessarily with your manager, but your other coworkers about work, um, about the things that they would like to change, and learn more about how um, you know a- about the things that they that they want out of their job. And then you can begin educating them about, like, well, we would have more power if we came together collectively and did something if we did something together you know i mean think about if one of us walked off the job for a day you know that's not too big of a deal it would be a bit of an inconvenience but if if all of us you know just took the day off that's a 
you know that they're not going to be able to do anything, right? And that's where your power comes from, and that's where the power of collective bargaining and of unions come from. Um, so just kind of start thinking about those conversations, and um, and and we have a uh, we have a unions one hundred and one episode that we did with a union staffer, Connor Lewis, um, that we did specifically to be a resource for people that are thinking about trying to form a union. Um, so you can find that on Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And I, I'd recommend maybe checking that out and uh, uh, checking out some other resources about how to form a union. Um, but but really that's going to be the, the big thing is, is talking to your coworkers about what they like to see, educating them about the ways that uh, – about the fact that coming together is going to help you. And then reaching out to uh, to unions to learn learn about the dynamics and in, in the unions around you, um, see who might be the best fit for y'all, and uh, and then go from there. And then you know you're going to do an election, begin bargaining a contract, stuff like that. I, I if if I can yeah, interject yeah, here, a couple of things I would add to that. Um, you know, Jacob gave you some some ideas in terms of unions to reach out to, and uh, certainly that's something that you should do just to see, you know, is there interest or not. Um, we've also seen a wave of workers starting their own unions uh, from mm-hmm. scratch. Now, that's a whole different, you know, approach, and that's going to come with its own pros and cons, of course. Uh, but we saw that with Amazon uh, and with uh, many of the, the newer organizing drives that are taking place. So that's also an option. Uh, but one thing I would just really want to emphasize on these conversations that you're having with these coworkers. these initial conversations don't start with hey let's start a union we're going to go on strike (laughs) you know uh, these are more organizing conversations where you're doing a lot of listening to try to figure out where do they stand on unionization where do they stand at work um what kind of relationships they have with coworkers and with management, perhaps. Um, I'm going I'm to give you, you know, a couple more practical pieces of advice, which would be if you don't already have a list of your coworkers, you should be working on that. Uh, that's one of the earliest things to do is to have a list of employees. Um, and then you can have that list as a resource to take notes on as you have these conversations and one-on-ones with other folks uh, or even small group sessions. Take some notes about what's discussed, uh, where these folks stand. You know, think of it as kind of like a very early assessment. Um, And the other thing I would add there, uh, so you're doing a lot of listening, you're taking some notes, you have your employee list, um, I recommend any kind of uh, social outings that are low pressure, that, uh, you know, are not necessarily designed to have a union conversation. Uh, You know, go out for coffee, go out for drinks uh, with coworkers. The more that you can build some relationships and figure people out, uh, I I think that really goes a long way. Um, And, of course, these early conversations and these early actions you're taking are best done uh, on the down low. You don't, you don't want to advertise too widely because even though you, you had someone from management uh, indicate that they probably think it's a good idea for y'all to organize and, and they wouldn't stand in your way, uh, but that's just one manager. 
And rest assured, most of and them that, won't feel and that, that way. Store management, not corporate management. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so those are some things um, just to think about. But I think no matter where it goes, you can have conversations with coworkers. You can learn more uh, about what supports are available and um, build those relationships. That's something that I think is possible for everyone, yeah. whether or not it results in a union election or not. And I think it's very important. But I think the fact that you're interested uh, and you're asking these questions is already off to a, a great start. Yeah, and, and I mean, the uh, personally, one of the things that is really um – you know that's really important is that that you building these relationships is really important you know you want to have credibility you have to have credibility in your workplace to be any sort of effective um right advocate for unionism you know you're if if you go up to your coworkers and you've got a reputation for being lazy you've got a reputation for slacking off coming in an hour late not doing your work people having to pick up the slack for you um they are they're just going to think that you're in this for like super selfish reasons like you just don't want to work you're a troublemaker you're like and not the good kind right like you're just you're just lazy and and you know uh, be i mean really the best organizer is going to be like the best employee a lot of times uh, and, and the best employee according to the other coworkers it's not necessarily by the by the metrics of like who management thinks is the best worker but who do your coworkers respect the most who do they trust who do they go to when problems when they've got a problem who do they go to with questions when a problem needs solving you want to be that person or you want to have that person on your side Right, right. I, I I think that's that's exactly right, and and that's the beginnings of of your organizing committee. Uh, right there is yep. is those kinds of folks, folks that uh, have trust among the staff, and folks that you can trust, frankly. And I think it's uh, Jacob's advice there is spot on, not just to to build trust uh, for yourself uh, amongst your staff, but also to avoid painting a bullseye on your back right? Um, because obviously that's something that if things develop and, and this becomes a true organizing campaign uh, the bullseyes will come out possibly not not always but certainly likely um, and so you don't want to do anything especially early on that may make it easier for management so yeah don't show up late don't you know just Pick your battles wisely. Uh, pick your battles wisely, especially early on, uh, as you're still trying to figure out the landscape, basically. Um, but those are those are some things that you know uh, off the top of our heads, and I think uh, you know the Unions 101 video would would also be a great look uh, thing to look at. And there are some fantastic resources out there for just this kind of scenario, and uh, UE. United Electrical, they have fantastic uh, information out there on their website, regardless of, you know, whether that's a union that's, you know, your choice uh, or even an option. The resources they have available online uh, would definitely be helpful for you. Mm -hmm. And also want to plug Labor Notes as another uh, resource. There's information online that you can access that goes through, you know, how do I have that one-on-one organizing conversation? What does that look like? Um, 
and more into like the nuts and bolts of what this would look like in a practical setting. And they actually have uh, trainings online this month, uh, some live trainings that may be of interest to you. So, mm, yeah, hopefully, check those out. Hopefully, you know, this gave you some some things to chew on for this question. And I really, really appreciate you calling. Yeah. The biggest thing I'm surprised about was it was something you mentioned early on that other like if you're in one kind of industry, but you want to unionize or you're dealing with a unionizing a drive, mm-hmm. other unions that are not in that industry are willing to help out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. A lot. Yeah, a lot of unions are to a certain extent, like a general union, like even like, so the machinist union, I'm pretty familiar with uh, the, the first, uh, the co-founder of this program is a machinist union member. They've got people, uh, that are members of the machinist union that have unions in their workplace in the healthcare sector, um, in education and in other places. Um, I know that the, uh, the IBEW organized a coffee shop in Wisconsin a while back. So there, there are definitely unions that'll, um, that'll go outside of maybe their main industry. Uh, it's it's definitely preferable to have have a union that is the closest to your industry, just because they're going to know it the best. Uh, you know, organizing in the healthcare sector with the machinist union, maybe they're not going to have as much resources devoted to it as maybe National Nurses United. But it's an option, and you want to know, um, you want to figure out. Uh, you want to figure out the best way to uh, – or, or the best union for you. The best yeah, fit. it's just yeah. finding that best fit and maybe, you know, who's available, who has resources locally uh, that they could devote, who's interested. So, you know, we don't want to give the impression that, like, every union from every industry is just going to be jumping jumping up for joy, you know, beating down your door to start this campaign. Um I think most folks don't necessarily get that experience. Uh, but you'd be surprised at what unions might would take an interest, even if it doesn't necessarily fit the name or the uh, reputation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, UAW representing education workers, for example. Um, and, and the list goes on and on. So, so it's definitely a possibility. And it's also good to know, to start having those conversations with them because as your organizing develops – once this, you know, hopefully becomes uh, an organizing committee, mm-hmm. you're going to want some partners in the community who can provide solidarity, who could provide wisdom and advice uh, because they've been there and done that. Uh, and you never know what kind of support you may need uh, as things develop when it comes to folks showing up and uh, even, to support and, a picket, you know? Yeah, and he, well, uh, that's exactly right. You know, even unions that aren't going to me- necessarily be the union you organize with will still absolutely help you. Just last weekend, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more, um, there were over, there were like half a dozen unions that showed up to support uh, Starbucks workers in Scottsboro who were fired. We had steel workers there. We had machinists there. We had federal employees. Uh, we had electrical workers all sorts of folks, communication workers came out, um, NASA workers that are unionized with IFPTE. So, you know, even if they're not going to be the union that, that you unionize with, ultimately, they will be there, or uh, a lot of them will be there to help you in whatever way that they can. Maybe donate to a strike fund, something like that. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, thank you. I've been taking notes during this whole time. Thanks for uh, all the advice. Um 
and I love the show. I'm so excited that uh, someone else uh, in Alabama is doing this besides me or is interested in this sort of thing besides me. <laughs> There's more of us than we realize. Yeah. Well, Ben, thank you so much. And uh, I, I think that we've got – we should have your number from our system. And, and if it's all right, we might follow up with you. Uh, uh, sure. I don't know. Like, this is the first – I don't know how fast this can develop. but like, Yeah, but yeah, but just so – just that way you've got our, our contact information. Yeah. We're, we're available if you need anything else. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thanks, brother. Thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. Thank and, you. Uh, look forward to hearing more from you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. All right. All right, folks, uh, really exciting call. So we're going to see uh, another union forming in Hoover. I feel good. I mean, I just I love uh, I love that folks are interested. Yeah. And those are the questions that we all have to be asking. How do we how do we do this? Where do we start? Um, and we all have to start somewhere. So that's great. And. You know, I love Ben's comment that he was just glad there's someone else out there in Alabama. And that's part of why we do this show, uh, because there's a lot more folks out there like us who are interested in politics and power for and by the working class. There's a lot more of us out here than we realize. Yeah. We're going to head to a break. On the other side, we are going to be talking to Matthew Clark. Contributor to Coke-funded Flat Earth Military Coup Crypto Bro Boosting 1819 News about the Attorney General of the State of Alabama. Stay tuned. It's going to be fun. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Energy Alabama is a locally operated and membership-based nonprofit organization focused on advancing Alabama's clean energy future through education and advocacy. Many people in charge of infrastructure and building decisions simply don't know about how viable clean and renewable energy is. To that end, Energy Alabama has provided instruction to more than thousands of adults and tens of thousands of K-12 students across the state. We're working hard to build careers in clean energy and help everyday Alabamians save money on their utility bills. Learn more about our work and how you can join us at energyalabama.org. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. 
If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAC. Come on, you poor workers, good news to you, I'll tell how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you are listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is... Jacob Morrison and my co-host is Adam Keller. If you've got anything to add, you can give us a call or send us a text. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. That is 844-899-8857. Call or text the show anytime, even if we're not on the air. Leave us a voicemail, send us a text. That's right. We might read it on the next program. So uh, Matthew Clark is the president of the Alabama Center for Law and Liberty, which is the nonprofit litigation arm of the Alabama Policy Institute. Those folks are everywhere. Uh, and a contributor for 1819 News, which is also a subsidiary of the Alabama Policy Institute. Matt, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, lots of folks aren't willing to you know, have a conversation with people that they might disagree with, so I appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Jacob. It's an honor to be with you. Yeah, great to have you. So, you know, you first came on my radar when you wrote an op-ed uh, about Danny Carr. Um, you were lamenting his proclamation that he's not going to be prosecuting an abortions. Now, you know, I'm not, I- I'm not interested right now in a debate on abortion. I think both of our positions are pretty clear, and you know, people can people can look that up. But 
in your op-ed, you mentioned something. Uh, you mentioned some criteria for prosecutorial discretion, and that's and and I was interested if, if you could elaborate on that for me. Um, from your article, you said first, if the law is unclear, the prosecutor necessarily has to use his discretion on how to proceed, and a prosecutor de- can decline to prosecute when doing so would be fundamentally unjust. So those are your two criteria that you had. If it's unclear or if it's unjust, could you? Where did you? Is that in the Alabama Code somewhere? No, no, uh, not as far as I know. However, I think it comes from um, just the the nature of the beast. So I worked for about four years on the Alabama Supreme Court as a staff attorney before um, I got out into private practice. And one thing that was just um, shocking to me has been, you know, look, I'm, I'm all about law and order. Um, and I think, you know, regardless of where we fall on the political spectrum, we can all agree that we need some level of law enforcement in order to survive as a society. However, the way that um, things work nowadays, we, I think we have an overcriminalization of a lot of stuff. You know, if one person commits one offense, it can, call, it can fall into maybe about uh, three or four different categories of, of crimes because, you know, we've passed so many laws. And so it's not really 100% clear um, which one you ought to pick. And so in, in cases like that, prosecutors, you know, they, they, they've traditionally enjoyed some level of discretion saying, okay, you know, option A would get us you know, the longest prison sentence. Uh, it's kind of a stretch, but, you know, if we really want to be hard on this guy, we can go for that. Option two, it, you know, the, the penalty fits the crime a little better. We got a pretty good shot of landing that, uh, you know, option three, uh, might go a little bit easy on the guy. You know, which one do we want to pick? Uh, that's that's the kind of discretion that prosecutors across states, whether it's in Alabama or elsewhere, have traditionally um, enjoyed. And then second, you know, our legislature doesn't always do a very good job of making clear what the offense is. Um, you, it's it's no secret that uh, sometimes legislators can pass laws that uh, are either poorly written or things like that, just in order to score political points with their constituency. And then when they find out the law is actually enforced, they get shocked. So um, in cases like that, where, you know, it's it's not that, um, it's not necessarily that uh, they pass a law that they're surprised um, that would be actually enforced, but, but, but a law that is so badly written that it's, it's hard to figure out what the law is, what the offense is, um, how do you prove it? Things like that. In, in cases like that, prosecutors necessarily have to figure out how do I make sense out of this mess? Um, and so in a lot of cases like that, there, there's a lot of gray that they're dealing with and they can decide um, how to proceed. So I think in cases like that, both where you know the law presents you with a lot of options or where it's very unclear, th- those are where prosecutorial discretion um, uh, really come into play. I think it's a completely different matter when the law is black and white and you just don't like it. But, you know, in, in, in the cases I mentioned before, though, um, I think prosecutors have to use discretion in order to do their job. But but that's not like, you know, I looked for it for, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend that I spent you know hours and hours and hours looking for any any. But I couldn't find any guidance at all. And I found multiple things that said that more or less. Or, or actually, in actuality, um, district attorneys, attorney generals have unilateral discretion about what they do and don't prosecute and how they prosecute it and what they try to get for it. And that there's there's nothing in the Alabama – I looked in the Alabama Rules of Professional Conduct on judicial.alabama.gov, special responsibilities of a prosecutor, didn't find anything about prosecutorial discretion. I mean, there's – I can't find – 
any guidance at all saying that they have to enforce they have to enforce every single law sure so if you're, if you're looking for um like a code or something like that that you know, lays out, here's when you enforce the law, here's when you don't enforce the law, uh, you're not going to find it. Now, in the Alabama Code, um, for, for district attorneys, um, it does say that they can be impeached. And one of the explicit grounds for impeachment is willful dereliction of duty. So um, we do have kind of a gray area here. You're, you're not going to find like a comprehensive code saying, you know, in, in classes A, B and C, you're, you know, of, of crimes, you have some discretion there. But in D, E and F, you don't. But mm-hmm. um, what the Alabama Code does say is it can rise to the level of willful dereliction of duty where you, you are not enjoying a reasonable level of discretion, but you are just absolutely declining to do your job. And in cases like that, uh, the Alabama Attorney General has a duty to in, uh, initiate impeachment proceedings against um, district attorneys that don't do that. That's under uh, Title 36 of the Alabama Code. I can get you specific code sections if um, if you'd like to know. Sure. But yeah, so I think you know I, I think that that's that's interesting. And and so I'm one. And, and so basically, you know, there's there's an impeachment process. If if you know people in the government maybe think that there's there's a, a dereliction of duty, quote unquote. But there's no real there's no real guy. And so it's basically like it, it are the people in power um, happy with the way that you're enforcing the law. And I guess my issue with the idea that, you know, one district attorney is not going to enforce one law is that district attorneys across the state of Alabama, including the attorney general, it seems to me, don't enforce laws all the time. It's all, you know, uh, and, and specifically with regards to wage theft. Um, which is you could uh, you could classify that as just any other type of theft. It's most of the time it's not. Most of the time, wage theft is prosecuted civilly and and is uh, you know taken care of by the Department of Labor. But I don't see any reason why a district attorney and in fact district attorneys across the country are beginning to. There are some that are beginning to have wage theft and uh, worker protection divisions that are prosecuting criminally, that are moving forward with criminal prosecutions when bosses are stealing from workers. But that's something I don't think even the most, you know, I don't even know if we have really a a left-wing district attorney in the state of Alabama. But, you know, to the extent that we do, I'm not aware of any district attorney that's prosecuting wage theft, which is something that multiple studies have, have shown is responsible for more theft than all goods stolen in all other property crime. You know, this is something that is a widespread issue, overtime violations, people not getting paid uh, for what they worked, people being told to clock out early, not getting paid for the last hour of their shift, things like this. This is super widespread, and nobody across the state of Alabama cares about it. You know, is that... Is that and, and so when I hear people take issue with one district attorney not prosecuting one law you know it, it it makes me question a bit their sincerity if that makes sense to uh to a you know neutral law and order idea does that make sense yeah i hear where you're coming from because you have to be consistent um you know if because if the rule is that um you know prosecutors have to enforce the law then um 
you know, it really comes down to, well, what do you do with laws that you don't like? You know, you can't, you can't um, be selective. You either got to enforce them or you need to not, but you have to be consistent. So I see where you're coming from. Um, I have to confess, I haven't um, looked into uh, the wage theft issue. So I'd have to look into that a little bit more um, before I could comment intelligently. Based on what you're, you're telling me, it does sound to me like generally speaking, this, um, this is more of a, a civil matter. Now, again, I haven't looked at the, the, the statute, so I can't comment on that. So if it's, you know, if it's civil, the courts are open and you can, um, you can fight it out there, but if it is criminal and if the, uh, the, the DAs are, are getting complaints and they're not going after it, then yeah, they, I think they have some explaining to do for, um, for why not? Now, what I will tell you in, in my experience dealing with um, uh, DAs in Alabama, I think, um, you know, I, 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 sound, I sound weird to uh, a lot of my conservative friends saying this, but I think, I think generally speaking, um, I think Alabama DAs have a problem with uh, with with overkill, you know, especially in those scenarios where there are multiple laws that address the offense, and you know, a lot of the times they tend to go for enforcing uh, the hardest rule possible. For instance, uh, a couple of years ago, I was representing a client who got caught stealing a nail gun from Lowe's. That was wrong. That was theft. He deserved to be punished for that. But um, because of uh, how the prosecutor misread the statute. Um, he prosecuted him for first degree robbery, which is a kind of robbery that happens when you pull a gun on somebody when you're trying to, uh, you know, get get away with it. And that did not happen in this case. And because of Alabama's habitual felony offender law, uh, that was his third strike for for property crimes, and he got a life sentence because of that. A life sentence for stealing a nail gun. Yeah, from Lowe's. So that, you know, that, that's the kind of stuff that I've seen over my career where, you know, I have to speak up sometimes and tell uh, some of our, uh, you know, conservative district attorneys saying, look, I'm about law and order, but you got to keep in mind, this is about law and justice. Justice is getting a proportional penalty for what you did. Sending a man to prison for stealing a nail gun, that's just insanity. So anyway, Jacob, in my experience, I, I've seen very little of um Alabama prosecutors declining to uh, prosecute crimes. If, if anything, I think they, they yeah, go well, for the, the jugular a lot. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I can kind of explain that the, the, the wage theft issue is traditionally, I mean, wage theft is theft. You could just prosecute it as theft, right? I mean, there's no reason you, you say, you, you, you know, you owe this person based on the terms of his employment. A certain amount of money, and he doesn't get it. That's that's theft. We could just literally prosecute that as theft. Um, most of the time, it is taken care of civilly, uh, which conveniently for bosses comes with you know no criminal penalties. And when, like you said, somebody steals a nail gun, which is much less than bosses steal from workers in the form of wage theft, he potentially gets a life sentence. Where bosses might have to pay back wages. Might, might, might is the operative word there. And the civil uh, the civil penalties, most of the times, as I'm sure you can imagine, uh, most of the time people do not report the theft, but uh, sometimes they don't even know that they're being stolen from. Sometimes they know very well that they're being stolen from, but they fear retaliation for reporting it. And so you can imagine that these reports are few and far between. And a lot of times, actually, the civil violations, we just had one come out of the Department of Labor uh with a with Chipotle in Alabama, where um, workers were awarded like a hundred thousand dollars in overtime violations, but that didn't come from it, that came from somebody after they left, right? And so there would have been if that one person hadn't 
come forward and said, look at this, and the DOL hadn't done that investigation, they would still be doing that and nobody would know except the workers, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so this wage theft, wor- uh, worker protections, it seems to me, there has to be a certain amount of proactive, uh, maybe we could say broken windows policing <laughs> kind of thing. Because a lot of times workers are not going to do this. But we know for a fact that it happens. We know for a fact that workers are stolen from. And we have every reason to believe, because of the studies that have been done, that bosses steal more from workers in wage theft and overtime violations than all other property crime combined. Like there, we have every reason to believe that, but very, very, very few district attorneys have any proactive resources on this. I mean, does that do, now it, do, is it tracking that that workers wouldn't come forward with with this kind of stuff, and that you might would need some sort of proactive stuff going on? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I hear I hear what you're saying. You know, the, the, this is fascinating again because this is kind of the first time I'm I'm hearing of um of this stuff. I, I do think, generally speaking, um. Uh, workers could be afraid to come forward because, you, you know, in, in a different context, I remember back in law school, um, uh, one of my old professors told me that if you ever have like a complaint against a judge, uh, it's like hunting a bear, bring a big gun and make sure you only have to shoot once, you know? So in the same way here, uh, if, if there is, um, you know, wage theft going on, I think, you know, workers are probably thinking along the lines of, okay, if I'm going to speak up, I better make sure I get it the first time. Because if I, if I don't, all I'm going to do is take off my boss and then, you know, I could get fired or, uh, something along, um, those lines. So I think a so, so the concept certainly um, makes sense. Yeah, I'd be interested to explore what options um, you know DAs uh, DAs have, especially when it comes to the issue of theft. Um, th- this is one area where civil law and criminal law overlap a lot, and so a lot of the times people do have. Um, uh, discretion on asking, okay, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to press criminal charges or do you want to get your money back? Um, I think, you know, in cases involving theft, like my, you know, my clients, um, I think a lot of the times the, 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 the primary remedy to, um, uh, to pursue is, is restitution, not only get the victim their money back, but also slap the violator with a heavier fine. So you got a mix of like, you know, punishment and restitution in there. But in cases where let's say there's, um, absolutely systemic, uh, uh, you know, theft or something like that. Yeah. I think maybe that's a case where, you know, criminal penalties ought to be looked at because at that point, the, um, the, the, the goal is deterrence. You know, it's like, we, we can either try to get everybody their money back one at a time, which we ought to pursue, or we can try to hit you hard enough to where, uh, you know, it, it stops theft and it stops, um, it, you know, it, it sends a message to everybody else watching that uh, this is going to go badly if you try to, you know, intentionally steal from your employees. So uh, it's it, it's interesting. It's kind of a classic lawyer answer. It, I, I guess, it, you know, it depends. What do you want? Do you want to get the, the victims to restitution back or do you want to, you know, stop the practice? So, yeah, that, Are you, that's how you look at it. Uh, I'm sorry, Adam. Yeah, I was just going to jump in here. Matt, I think something that we would definitely agree with uh, is that we do have many overly zealous uh, prosecutors and district attorneys. And I think what you said that Alabama Alabamians are often over criminalized. I think that's absolutely true. I, I think 
the distinguishing factor there, of course, is is who, you know, which Alabamians. Um, And, you know, I liked your example about going out, a lawyer having to go after a judge and and comparing that to hunting a bear. That's good. Uh, And I think that actually there's a lot of parallel there uh, because of the power imbalance that that's speaking to. And I think that's what we see in our justice system is that working class folks, particularly people of color, poor folks, uh, are dealing with such a power imbalance in the system. And working class folks are over-criminalized when it comes to your traditional crimes uh, that you might name, whereas the issues that Jacob's speaking to in terms of wage theft and other abuses by companies, by bosses, um, are often under criminalized and under prosecuted under investigated and i think the parallel is is very clear there in that as a worker trying to take on your boss or your company you know it it would be like taking on a bear and i think uh even more so in the context of a country like the united states and a state like alabama where it's pretty clear the justice system is tilted in the favor of employers and companies as opposed to workers uh, and ordinary citizens. Um, so I, I'll let y'all get back to your discussion. I know, Jacob, you wanted to ask about Steve Marshall. Uh, but, yeah, yeah I was... just wanted to kind of share that, that, you know, I think there's some common ground that we have uh, and, and maybe kind of expand on our perspective and where we're coming from. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, maybe we can keep up the conversation uh, after the show and have you back on sometime. But, but the you know, he mentioned other worker, um, uh, you know, other worker abuses. And, and that's that's the next thing that I wanted to ask you about. You know, the, the you're aware of the, the, the situation with child labor at, at the Montgomery Hyundai plant, right? Well, believe it or not, um, when uh, the, uh, you guys reached out to me and asked me to uh, look into that, I'm, I'm trying to get my timeline straight. I think I was out of town for work, then I had COVID, then got um, out of uh, town Oh, man, with my I didn't realize that Whitney didn't tell me that you had COVID. I, I'm glad yeah. to see you're feeling better, I guess. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, unfortunately, I haven't really had time to, to look into that. I have seen um, some allegations uh, that they've been using child what was it like 12 to 15 year olds or something like that yes yeah so i'll yeah well so back in february um the police department in enterprise noted that um noted to notified the alabama attorney general's office that uh that this had been going on that there are 12 year olds working there and um and and that came about because uh this 13-year-old went to Atlanta with a co-worker to look for more work, but her parents didn't know that she did that, and so she filed a missing child report or whatever, and they found them, and the cops were like, why do y'all know each other? Why are y'all here? And they said that we work together. Um, and that's how, they, that's how they found out, and that's how the Reuters people got a hold of it. Um, wow. And when the Reuters people uh, went into the, you know, talked to more people, they said they talked to workers who there are there were dozens of children, dozens of children, like preteen, obviously looking people, on this factory floor that has had over the past ten years fifty thousand dollars in fines from OSHA. And I think you, being a lawyer, you know that OSHA does not do that very often. And they had a fine as recently as last year, fines including violations including amputation hazards, crushing hazards, and all of this stuff. And the attorney general's office was notified of this in February. 
in February, and they haven't done anything about it. And when this report came out, the Alabama Department of Labor said that, oh, we opened an investigation into it, but they told the press that nobody had told them about this before. Nobody had, so so the attorney general has known about this since February, and he did not even if I think I think people should go to jail, right? I think that there are people in the management at this Hyundai plant who should go to jail, um, but at the very least there should be some sort of civil penalties, which would be what the Alabama Department of Labor would do. And he didn't even do that. He didn't even pursue that. Didn't even hand it off to the Alabama Department of Labor. He sat on it for five months, and now we're going on six months. He hasn't even so much released a, a statement about it. He hasn't even tweeted about it. But he's had the time to tweet out forms about people who get their feelings hurt on Twitter. You know, you can let the Alabama Attorney General know. And, you know, look, I've said on the show, and you don't watch the show, and that, you know, I understand that, but I'm, I understand critiques about social media that come from conservatives. But, like, there are children in your state working in manufacturing facilities with amputation hazards. Like, we need to have some sort of priorities here. And he hasn't even said anything about it. And this is incredibly, incredibly frustrating for me because 82 minutes after the Roe decision came out, 82 minutes, didn't even take him two hours, he's already filing stuff, right? And so it seems to me that he is there's no like concern for justice there's no concern for protecting children right it's just about what's going to play to the base and so so then again you know you wrote a, a, a an article praising him for what he did about Roe and there's and there's nothing nobody's talking about this nobody in conservative media nobody on the radio nobody it, 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 there's nothing about it with respect to the attorney general letting these people off the hook Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I think one thing we have to consider is that the Alabama Attorney General's office could be investigating this right now. And their standard procedure when they're still investigating is not to comment to the public before they formed a conclusion. So uh, that has frustrated me at times because even when uh, I was reaching out to him about Danny Carr, uh, not enforcing, uh, saying that he wasn't going to enforce Alabama's abortion law in Jefferson County. Uh, the initial response I got, and, and I, I used to be fairly close to Steve Marshall. I used to go to church with him and sit next to him every Sunday. Uh, but the, the the response I got back from him was, "Thank you for reaching out. We're looking into it." And that's all I got. I'm thinking, really? Come on, you know, I, I'm you know, I've been in a lot of battles with you, been on the same side, and you know, this is all I'm getting. But at the end of the day, you know, law enforcement has to be careful about what they tell the press uh, before they've decided whether they're going to take action or not. So um, he has been silent, but it could be that they are looking into this and they are just not telling uh, the public what they're preparing to do yet. Um, as far as the uh, the abortion matter goes, one thing we got to keep in mind, too, is that there had been a case going on since uh, I believe it was 2019. So, you know, by that point, uh, you know, the AG's office had already been in that fight for about three years. Uh, the federal district judges stepped in and told them, OK, you can't enforce this law until the Supreme Court overrules Roe. Uh, but the day that the court overruled Roe, he stepped in and said, OK, uh, Roe's gone. I don't think there's any basis for um, not enforcing uh, this law anymore. Um, so go ahead and lift your injunction. And th- that was pretty easy to do. Um, I think that whole motion was like 
you know, two pages long. Uh, it, it was it was pretty standard. So um, I, I think that's part of why the abortion case was different. And then in addition, look, you know, we, we may disagree on this. And I know you said you weren't necessarily looking to have a debate. But if we're talking about protecting children, if unborn children are people, then, you know, stepping in and, you know, at, at your first chance and, you know, trying to stop them from getting killed, I think does demonstrate a, uh, you know, a, a willingness to uh, protect children rather than, you know, just playing to the base. But I do agree with you that if there is child labor going on in uh, the Hyundai plant and if there are amputation hazards and stuff like that, then yeah, we ought to show the same concern for them. And I, and I hope he's doing that behind the scenes. So I would encourage you, you know, stay on the story, uh, keep, you know, keep it alive um, in the press because it, you know, if, uh, it, if this is going on, um, then I would hope that uh, the AG's office or the Alabama Department of Labor or the local district attorney, you know, keep pressing them and say, OK, you got to make a decision. Are you going to do something about this? Or after a reasonable investigation, have you found that these allegations are not true? If you found that they're not true and you can explain why, OK, maybe we can deal with that. But, you right. know, just, yeah, don't, well, so just don't sit from, on it. From the from the Reuters report, Mike Lewis, a spokesperson at the Alabama Attorney General's office, declined to comment. You know, it's not even like there's an investigation. We're looking into it. There's just no comment. There's nothing. There's nothing from them. Um, and so that's and, – and the Alabama Department of Labor did say that we were not informed of this. We were not informed of this. So um, those, those don't bode well. Yeah, they don't bode well. <laughs> um, so – all right. Well, I, you know, I appreciate your concern for for that, and I hope I hope that uh, you know maybe we can continue the the conversation and and uh, maybe yeah. maybe we can maybe we can write a joint letter to the <laughs> Alabama Attorney General about. Hey, this. that would be some bipartisan spirit would, right there. That would be something. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, Matt, I, I appreciate I, I do appreciate the time. Um, Absolutely. I, I do want to ask as we're letting you go. You know. Is it like a little bit embarrassing that eighteen nineteen news was like gave such a flattering interview to a flat earther running for gov- running for governor that there's been a couple of op eds in a row about like litter boxes in schools, which is something that's not happening uh the the boosting that crypto scam right before the crash like is that is that it you know were you even aware of those things? Is that like a little bit embarrassing to be associated with those folks? I'm, I'm just well, I'm well, curious about that. Well, I know about their interview with Dean Odell. I uh, d- haven't heard about um, the other things, but I think generally speaking, 1819 does uh, good work. And as far as Dean Odell goes, I mean, look, you know, I I dis- I disagree with the flat earther. Th- I mean, I just, you know, <laughs> don't, I, I don't see how, you know, you can deal with that. But on, on the other hand, you know, it's like in, in politics, uh, you know, everybody running for office is imperfect in some way and so you know especially if somebody comes out and and says something that you know makes you you know squint your eyes tilt your head and go really this is this is what you're going for the question becomes you know what's what's the remedy do we do we cancel that person because you know they've said something that you know appears to us to be so you know uh just off the wall and just write off everything else that that they say or do we sit down with them and say okay that was a little bit weird 
But, you know, we believe you've had some good things to say on other issues, and we're going to give you a fair shake to explain your your position. So um, I think on D-Nodal in particular, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that they gave him an opportunity to get his positions out there instead of just hearing, all right, I've got this one belief that, uh, yeah, I, I, I absolutely can't. I, I absolutely can't agree with. But, you know, I'm I think, proud of them. I, I think it would have been helpful for the audience if that's the only place that – because there may be people that that's the only thing that they heard about him. I would imagine it would have been helpful helpful for them to know that he supports a military coup and that he believes the earth is flat. Those would be things that I would want to know if <laughs> I would at least want it mentioned, I think. But uh, Matt Clark, I, I do appreciate your time. Thank you yeah. for coming on. Thanks for joining us. Yep. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Matt Clark, Alabama Center for Law and Liberty, everybody. We appreciate his time. Uh, We're going to take a break, but don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report. We're going to talk to you all about what's happening with the UMWA strike on the other side. Energy Alabama supports consumers and is a leader in advocating for them. We have been able to successfully fight off utility rate increases in the state, reduce fees for electric vehicles, increase electric vehicle infrastructure spending, and secured a $100 million refund by Alabama Power after the utility overcharged customers for fuel. To learn more about our work advocating for customers and join the fight, go to energyalabama.org. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. North Alabama DSA is looking for folks to work for a better North Alabama. They prioritize mutual aid, municipal activism, and union solidarity. Contact them on social media or dsanorthalabama at gmail for more information. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Hometown Action is a grassroots organization building a multiracial working class movement for racial, gender, economic, and environmental justice in Alabama's rural communities. We stand in solidarity with Alabama workers and are proud to support the Valley Labor Report's efforts to inform and build the Southern Worker Movement. Please visit hometownaction.org and follow our social media channels at Hometown Action to learn more about how you too can get involved to make the South a better place for all workers. Solidarity, y'all. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, 
and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Ironworkers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. only union talk radio show this is the valley labor report my name is jacob morrison my co-host is adam keller if you've got anything to add give us a call or text us the phone number is 844-899-TVLR that is 844-899-8857 we have one caller on the line but we are going to take it in overtime if you want to stay on the line or if you would just rather get off and call back in uh, because we want to make sure that we get to this UMWA story before we get off of the radio. So uh, up to you, caller, but we're not going to be able to take it for about 13 minutes. Um, I do have to read this ad really quick from our brothers and sisters in the IUPAT, International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it this afternoon. I'm going to record it this afternoon. But in the meantime, are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. IUPAT. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on bridges to drywall drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glaziers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an apprenticeship, with an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you would like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142. For more information, come build a better future with us and join IUPAT today. 
So, folks, let's get to this crazy, crazy stuff. Truly unhinged, bonkers, as some people would say. I mean, really just genuinely unhinged updates on the Warrior Met strike for you this morning. So, Warrior Met is trying to get the miners to pay them $13.3 million in strike costs. Yes. Just totally outrageous. You heard that right. $13.3 million in strike costs. Back in June, two months ago, the union entered a settlement with the company for, quote, unlawful strike activity in order to save striking members and families from days of hostile questioning by company lawyers, which is a reason, which is reasonable enough, right? I mean, these people have been on strike. They've got enough going on and being harangued by company lawyers. That's a lot. That's a lot to ask of anybody. And they did this, though. They did this on an estimate of the settlement being four hundred thousand dollars. Four hundred thousand dollars, or less, NLRB, right? Which is. 33 times less. It is one thirty-third of what the company is coming back with right now. So now they're asking for more, Warrior Med is, even, get this, reimbursements from costs incurred before the strike. How can it be reimbursements for unlawful strike activity if it happened before the, before the strike even began? Right, that's not strike activity. Definitionally. From their statement, the UMWA International President Cecil E. Roberts said, There are charges for security, cameras, capital expenditures, buses for transporting scabs across picket lines, and the cost of lost production. How is unlawful, even if we grant that some union members or some union officers did some unlawful strike activity. Let's just grant that. How is paying for buses a reimbursement for that? How is paying for lost production a reimbursement for that? Lost production. That's that's the whole damn point of a strike is that you don't have as much production. The union is obviously, they're obviously going to be fighting this request from the company from their press release yesterday. Quote, I want to be clear. Warrior Matt Cole instigated this strike and has brutally extended it through its sustained unwillingness to reach a fair and reasonable agreement at the bargaining table. We have no intention of paying its costs for doing so. The right to strike in America must be preserved. We will fight this at every level, in every court. We will spend every penny of our resources rather than give in to something like this from the NLRB, Warrior Met, or any other entity. And that's, absol- that's absolutely the correct position. That's I wouldn't pay them necessary. 13 cents, much less $13 million. $13 million. It's, it's, that's insane. It is. It's a, it's a very dangerous, dangerous precedent should it actually go through uh but just the gall of god even ask for, for warrior met production. to ask for that it's just more evidence of what a bad faith actor they are just it's really the definition totally. i mean if you if you want to find like the stereotype of a 19th century gilded age corporation yeah. that is just beyond the pale in terms of greed warrior met cole is is upholding that legacy 
The Teamsters came out with a statement yesterday as well. Quote, the Teamsters proudly stand with our brothers and sisters of the United Mine Workers of America to combat this assault on American workers by the National Labor Relations Board, said Teamsters General President Sean M. O'Brien. Are we simply going to strip hardworking Americans of their ability to organize and of their freedom to strike corrupt employers? At what point is the federal government going to intervene to actually protect working people? Right. We're going to keep you updated on the proceedings here, obviously. The next step is that the NLRB will take the union's response to this basically opening volley from Warrior Met and then Region 10 will complete their own assessment of the costs. And then, if an agreement is not reached, they'll go before an administrative law judge, and their opinion could be appealed before the general counsel of the NLRB, and then they could appeal that to district court, the federal court of appeals or something. Um, the NLRB press secretary yesterday told me uh, that if there's not an agreement with the region's ultimate decisions, which will come after the union responds, the region will commence a proceeding before an administrative law judge where the parties can present arguments and evidence about what each considers to be appropriate damages. So, you know, we'll see We'll see what Region 10 comes out with. My understanding is that the UMWA is responding that, that what the UMWA is responding to, what they've been responding to in the last week, is not actually a ruling or a decision or anything from the NLRB, but more like letting them know what Warrior Met's saying that their bill is and asking for a response. So we'll see um, if Region 10's assessment is even remotely close to what Warrior Met is asking for. Surely not. It will be an attack on working people in the state of Alabama, an attack on working people all across the country, and an attack on working people and, and their freedoms, their ability to organize, um, freely associate, and strike, and withhold their labor. It'll be a, a really, really terrible decision. So we'll see what happens there, and we'll definitely keep you Let's just hope that this is this is Warrior Met's wish list and that the NLRB sees through this. Yeah. And, you know, it is sent back, and, and there's a reasonable settlement entered into here, and not anything so egregious uh, as this, not just in the cost, but in the very principles of charging for lost production, busing scabs, and on and on. The things that they asked for, yeah. just truly wild. Yes, I mean, it's uh, honestly, should, to me, if you're the NLRB, you ought to laugh them out of the room for being right. so completely ridiculous and bad faith. Right, right. It's really really wild um so we are going to wrap up here on the radio with our last four or five minutes uh we're going to get to some other stuff in overtime that we weren't able to get to during the main show but um we have we have uh some good stuff lined up in overtime today that's for sure yeah some really good stuff so uh, I do want to mention really quick, though, uh, that, you know, of course, our hearts go out to the folks suffering in Kentucky. Thirty-seven of them, have, thirty-seven Kentuckians have died uh, because of the floods over there. And more have been hurt. Thousands are now left without homes. Um, and they aren't, they aren't even out of the woods yet. They're staring down another round of heavy rain before they even have a chance to dry off. It's just a horrible situation over there. Um, 
but working folks are helping each other out. The uh, Secretary Treasurer of the Kentucky AFL-CIO said that they're going to be sending out folks to fulfill needs across the state, like plumbing and electrical work. They're also going to be good. using some funds left over from the money collected last year uh, in the aftermath of tornadoes in eastern Kentucky. And the retail, wholesale, and department store union in Kentucky had several members lose a lot um, during the flood, and they're con- connect- collecting they are collecting the RWDSU donations for their members. Those checks can be sent to RWDSU Kentucky Flood Relief Fund, uh, courtesy of RWDSU. The address is 377th Avenue in New York, New York. Yeah, and I just wanted to add a couple other organizations or funds that you could be supporting if you were so inclined, um, folks that are doing good work. Uh a couple of independent Southern media outlets, Southerly and Scalawag, uh, they have both been doing some really great coverage and uh, are providing resource pages, uh, so you can learn more about what's happening. But also, this is these are great resources to send to people if you have any loved ones up that way. Um, and a few organizations, East Kentucky Mutual Aid, Eastern Kentucky Flood Relief Fund, uh, which... I, I saw the Sierra Club was uh, boosting, and uh, Queer Kentucky, based out of Louisville, has been doing supply drives, um, and Apple Shop, A-P-P-A-L-S-H-O-P, Apple Shop. Uh, they've been doing some great work as well. So just wanted to mention those, uh, just a- whatever you can do to uh, support our sisters and brothers up there. Just a couple reminders as we're getting off the radio. The Free Automotive Repair and Service Project, hosted by the National, uh, the North Alabama School for Organizers, is going to be on August 14th from 9 to 3 at Knights Village in Huntsville. There's a new album out from Lee Baines and the Glory Fires. The album is called Old Time Folks. You can get it through Don Giovanni Records. Tuesday, August 9th, Alabama Rise is hosting the last of their series of online town halls. Uh, this one titled Making the Vision a Reality, the Path Forward. Join online at 6 p.m. Monday, August 8th. There is a Huntsville Municipal Candidate Forum at 7 p.m. The event will be held at the Calvary Hills Community Theater and on Facebook Live. You can join to hear candidates from District 2 and District 4. Reminder that Tuesday, August 23rd, is the local election in Huntsville. Put that on your calendar. District uh, Huntsville City Council and Board of Education sits seats for District 2, 3, and 4. Labor Notes has a series of online trainings. LaborNotes.org. Energy Alabama is holding a Huntsville meetup on September 15th. Find us online where we're going to be talking about some propaganda from the New York Times, talking Christianity and labor with Matt Bernico from the Magnificast, and lots more. So make sure you find us online. We are on YouTube and Facebook, continuing to stream right now at The Valley Labor Report. And you can give us a call if you want to join the show during overtime. It's still 844-899-TVLR. This is 844-899-8857. All power to the workers. 